Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all of its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Yo, top of the morning, Ville Church. Top of the morning, all my people who are tuning in um, on our uh, morning uh, service this morning on Facebook. We are really happy to have you with us this morning. Um, Listen, I don't want to waste time because I have a sermon to preach that I'm really excited about. Um, We're preaching out of Revelations um, 3, verses 1 through 6. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there or jump on there on your phone, um, I would suggest you pull out a pen and pad and you take notes this morning. This... uh, this sermon, this sermon is, is, is dear to my heart because, if I'm going to be honest with you, in the midst of just the climate of our country, in the midst of the climate of the church being separated, um, I think all of us know how, how toxic, toxic social media is at this point. Um, we are just being polarized on levels that we never have been before. Um, and and uh, and that has played out in real life, you know, like when COVID first hit and we were kind of quarantining, I think a lot of us were like, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to pump the brakes on church for, for, the, for the sake of being safe and protecting our people. And we thought it would look like a break, but it hasn't felt like a break at all in the season. I actually feel like I've been busier than I ever have. And the busy has mostly been in the area of people struggling. Um, with their faith, people struggling with suicide, people with destructive behavior because of how hard um, it's just been, right? Economically, um, you know, politically, financially, socially, all of these things seem to be pressing in on us in a way that we've never experienced before. And it's, and it's, it's waves war against a lot of people's faith. And so I feel like I'm constantly in that conversation. And frankly, I feel like even myself, um, it's been bewildering at times. It's been really, really hard, and um, it's been discouraging. Um, and it's just a place that we've never been before. But this Revelations um, three one through six, this message to the Church of Sardis, is actually something that really slapped me up out of my slumber and woke me up. Um, and I don't know if I don't know if I would really call it a slumber, but just a grieving and an unknowing and like, God, where are you? What's going on? Kind of lamenting um, at what we're seeing, you know, even the division within the American church and everything else, which we've always known was there, but like the joint is turned up to a whole nother level, right? And everybody thinks they know what's real. They know the answer and they have their perspectives and everything else. But I think at the end of the day, we simply don't trust what it is. We don't trust the government um, anymore. That trust is eroding quickly um, because of the way we feel like things are being managed and also the trust within the church, even for leaders in the church and what it is or whatever, the way we've seen it be played in the political landscape, we kind of are just stepping back like, uh, you know? And so it leaves you where you're like, well, God, what does this look like? What, do, what does this look like going forward? How do I stand in this? I don't know what solid ground is anymore. Um, and 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 that that is kind of what I see has been the natural kind of posturing that has happened because of the climate. But this text speaks very much to that, and it's been really really rich for me, and I've been chewing on it. Um, I preached it last week at Alethea Church in Tampa, Florida. This same message. I never repeat messages, but I think I'm going to be repeating this message for quite a while because I think it's a word for the church, and I think it's a word for the Ville Church. So. <clears throat> Forgive me for that long intro right there. Um, 
I just I want I want you to understand what you're chewing on as I'm preaching it to you, um, and 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 get all the good stuff out of it. You feel me? And so let's jump in. Revelations three one through six. I'm gonna read the text to you. Then we're gonna jump through this thing. It says, "And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him that have that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works." You have the reputation of being alive. He's talking to the church of Sardis. He says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received, what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. They, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and, will, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, right? So we're in Revelation. God is giving a word, right? When it talks about, when it references the word of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, we're talking about Jesus and the angel of the churches believe that all of these churches who are basically in the Asia Minor area have a angel that presides over. So the message goes to them, goes, goes through Jesus to the angels, to the church, right? So it says, and to the angel of the church of Sardis write. So the message is written to the angel and meant to be delivered to the body, right? First, let me give you a little bit of context about Sardis, right? Because there is not, um, there is not a whole lot of historical context on the actual church besides what we see here in Revelation, but there's a lot about the city of Sardis, right? So quickly, Sardis was an Acropolis, which means that it was actually, it sat on a hilltop, right? And so um, Herodotus, who was actually a writer during that time, what he said that he observed was that the city had three walls around it. It was thought to be in, impregnable by enemies, right? They couldn't, you know, like they could not break through and get to the city because it sat on this hill. Um, and then it had this protection around it. So to try to get at them, you had to get up the hill. But there was also this social division because on the bottom of the hill, many of the houses were made out of reeds or whatever, right? And there was no surrounding wall. So the poor people stayed at the base of the hill. The rich people, the wealthy royalty, wealthy citizens, the palace, everything was on top of the hill. Um, they had a temple for, um, for a deity named Sybil. She's believed to possess the power and ability of restoring the dead back to life, which is ironic because of what we see in the text about you say you're alive, but you're dead, right? Or your reputation is that. And so this was the landscape that we're dealing with when it comes to um, Sardis. Flourishing in a very big way. Matter of fact, they were, um, the, they were, they were also the capital city um, in, um, you know, of Lydia, right? And so they were the capital city. And so they're prestigious by all means. And they were doing a lot when it comes to trade. It was a flourishing city but it had these things in it, right? You had the church there, you had idol worship, you had social division, um, you know, in the sense of the wealthy versus the poor, um, very much like we have in America, whatever, right? You had the protected people, you had the unprotected people. And this is just to give you a backdrop. I'm not using this to exercise any kind of um, understanding inside of the text to make a point about that, that's just where they were at as a city. And I want you to understand the backdrop of where this, of who this word is being preached to, right? 
And so it says to them, right? He says to them in, in verse one, he says, I know your works. That's what, God, that's what God is saying to the people, right? He says, I know your works. So he's pretty much pulling one of those, I know what you did last summer, right? I know your works. Like, I see you, right? You can say whatever you want to. You can hear what everybody else is saying, but I know your works. He says, you have the reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Grasp the weightiness of that. They're the church. People think that they are actually being the church well, that they are doing the church well, that they are solid, on-point believers and followers of Jesus. But God himself is saying, I know your works. And like though they're saying you're alive in the streets, you actually are dead. And here's the thing, too. It's not only an indictment against the church of Sardis. It's the indictment on the people who are actually around them as well. The people who are actually making the assessment that, whoa, you're alive. So there's this thing where the people who are actually championing them and cheering them on, they don't even have the wherewithal to even determine what is actually healthy when it comes to followers of God and a church body of believers. So it's an indictment to both, right? You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So they are postured in this aliveness, but you understand what I'm saying? They got the car. The car looks really, really good. They got a car. Yo, your car is sharp. You're killing it. Homie, you ain't got no engine in the car. You ain't got no gas in the car. The things that really make the car move, you're missing it. That's what he's telling them. Reminds me of Matthew 7, 21, 23. That says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works like the church of Sardis? And then I will declare to them, I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, right? So that gives us that 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 scripture paints a picture of what's happening in Sardis. They they like, yo, we we rocking with you, God. We we representing you. We doing mighty works in your name. And he's like, I don't even know you though. I don't even know you. Because you don't got an engine inside, right? You 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 don't you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't you don't have it. I don't we don't we don't know each other. You just postured like you're one of one of mine, right? It's your self-righteousness that lets you do the activities of being churchy and churchified and it gives you certain statuses or whatever and it, and, and does things for you, but you miss me, right? Let it not be said that the world which is dead thinks you are alive or the church that is truly dead thinks you're alive, but may your aliveness be quickened by the unfathomable love of God through the faithful work and word of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, right? This is the elephant in the room for me because this it, it's scary, right, when, when we actually can think that we are like so close to God but actually be a million miles away, right? The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. So there's, there's, this, there's this holy fear and trembling that, we, that, we, that brings us before the Lord when we, in our repentance, realize like, God, I, I know how to fool myself really, really well. I know how to fool myself really, really well, right? You know, there is, there's times with my wife where, you know, and I hear men say this all the time, like, hey man, I just wanna love my, my wife really, really well. I'm guilty of it, right? It sounds so great. 
and, and, and Lana, she loves like, you know, she she loves Skittles, these certain, this purple bag of Skittles. And like, she doesn't care about flowers and certain things that much, but she loves when I notice the things that she actually loves or whatever. So every now and then I'll pop in or whatever and I'm like, boom, you know, got my flowers, I got the Skittles, just for no reason, right? Trying to be a good loving husband. And she's happy and she receives it and she's like, thank you, babe. But every now and then she has to stop me and be like, listen, that's great. But the fact of the matter is, it feels like we are very far apart right now. She hits me with one of those. I don't know if y'all had that talk, you know what I'm saying, or whatever, but like, she does it. And her stewarding our love and making sure our love is real, she doesn't accept this hollow kind of love or whatever. And when I'm not capable of realizing that that's the case, and I'm just doing the kind of exterior things, but not dealing with the interior, you know, matters of the heart, she slows me down. Like, that's, that's cool, babe, but we, we distant right now. You understand what I'm saying? And I thank God for doing that. This is what God is doing in this text to the church of Sardis. You know him for being alive, but you're actually dead, right? So he's going to walk them into some mercy. So verse 2, this is right here. He gives some imperatives. He tells him, he says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. This is a message like, like, here's the thing. I, this is a message to the church of Sardis, but I don't think I'm pulling it out of context for us to personalize this in this moment. While I'm preaching to you right now, assess your posture as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Assess your posture and in, in, in the way you stand with the church and what God has called the church to corporately do as a body together. The mission that he's called the Ville Church on or whatever church you belong to. Assess how you are standing in that moment. And hear this message right here, right? He says, wake up. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie when like they, when somebody gets knocked out, they take an ammonia inhaling and they put it in front of their nose and they wake them up. It's so strong, it just knocks them up out of their slumber. This is what he's doing in the text right here. He is actually putting the gospel in front of them to wake them up. And you may just be on verse two, but you'll see that it is the gospel he's using to wake them up, right? Because they know what he's talking about. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains. Take a moment and assess what remains around you. What remains? I know that everything feels like it's burning down all over the place. It may feel like some people are just kind of floating away from the church or some people are just leaving Jesus in the dust. Maybe they've left Jesus in the dust to go fight and argue with everybody else, but they've left the gospel behind and you kind of feel that and you feel that you are kind of being overwhelmed with so much anguish from things, but like, haven't really even been before the Lord or been with the Lord and actually don't even know where you're at anymore. You're moving around, but when you check your pulse, you're like, I ain't really feeling too much of nothing pumping through here no more. The, the, the gospel, Jesus, that you once treasured, once was your everything, once that you knew you needed to go from A to B to C to D, to even be able to love your family, to love your life well. The gospel that compels us to even understand what love is. Christ is love. God's love is shown to us through Christ. So if we don't have it, then we don't have love. But if you've been postured in that, take an assessment at this moment. Look around and see what you've left behind. So what, when he says, strengthen what remains, what remains? Who is still around? 
Who of your brothers and sisters are still around? What's left of the Ville Church right now for us to steward and move forward with, right? We got the Bible. We got the freedom to preach the word of God. We got the freedom to pray together. We meet on the corner of Brentwood, you know, every month, and we pray. We walk through the neighborhood. We pray for businesses. They don't even know we're praying for them. We pray for people's homes. They don't even know we're praying for them. We pray for the schools and the teachers. They don't even know we're praying for them. That's what remains right now. Me and you remain. Us who are not, who God by his grace has kept us close enough to even hear this word and it prick us in our heart, we remain. Your pastors, your elders, your neighbors in the chair, your neighbors outside of your, your house, the kids in the community, they still remain and the gospel is still a gospel and still needs preached. I don't care if everything's burning down. So he's telling them, you got idol worship, you got social division, you got injustice, you got wealth and prosperity. You got people telling you you need to step up and get money or you're a fool. You have all these things beating you against your head. But this gospel still stands in the middle of it. And at the end of the day, when everything burns down, and we know it will, because history tells us it will and the gospel tells us it will, what's, what's left is the gospel. It's the message of Jesus Christ. It's the promises, the eternal promises. That's what we have as the children of God. So he says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. He's saying to them, hey, church, you're going to, you, you about to die. If you don't gather what remains, it's, it's over. This is where y'all going because y'all already dead. All right? Y'all already coasting. You're coasting down a hill so you think you're alive. But your engine block is gone. Strengthen what remains. Tend to what remains. So if you hear me right now, I'm telling you, take an assessment, look at what still remains around you, and then let's come together and strengthen that. Let's hold as the church. Let's hold as a community that loves Jesus Christ and treasures the gospel. Let's hold together in the middle of that. And so he says, for I found, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. That's the end of verse two. He says, I found that your works aren't complete, right? It's like the people in Matthew 7 I just read to you about. Church of Sardis, they showing up like, God, we out here putting in work. He's like, I don't even know you. They, 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 are, they are like the foolish Galatians where they have actually been bewitched, where Paul tells him, he says, who has bewitched you, right? Who's tricked you, right? You don't return back to works like your works make you put you in the right place to God, but we are saved by grace. Jesus is our sacrifice. That's who we celebrate. That's who we celebrate. He's the one who's redeemed us from death. He is the one who has taken us from death to being alive in Christ Jesus. Royal heirs, the royal priesthood, all the eternal promises that come are because of what Jesus did on our behalf, right? But they've, they've been bewitched like the Galatians were. They've turned their posture to works and they left Jesus in the dust. You understand? 1 Corinthians 13 talks about how if you could fathom all mysteries, if you have great intellect, great faith, and power to move all mountains, you could be a sacrificial beyond comprehension. But it says if you lack love, your actions mean nothing. They mean nothing. Your works are dead if you lack 
love. And here's the thing. This isn't Hallmark card type love. This is the type of love that is embodied in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says that we are sinful and deserve the wrath of God. That's what it says. It brings us before God and it actually brings us and it puts us in this posture where we are like Paul, right? I look at Paul and I go, how in the world were you out killing God's children, innocent children, right? How are you out killing the children of God and God in his mercy and grace makes you a child of God? Can't be off of works because based on his works, he deserves destruction, right? But we tell that story, but we don't act like it's us. We don't act like it's us. So the love that we carry is not this gospel love. It's this love that we've inserted in, right? So when we get mad at people, we come to a place where like, nah, slit, you know, slit their throat, kill them. Forgetting. Forgetting the debt that we've been forgiven of, right? It's like in the Bible when it tells the story about the guy who owed just a, a crazy amount of money and he comes before the judge and he's supposed to be put in prison and then the judge forgives him. He wipes his debt clean. He begs the judge for mercy and the judge is like, yo, I'm going to wipe your whole slate clean, homie. You free. Go do your thing. He goes out in the street and he grabs somebody who owes him just a little small amount of money he can't pay and he tosses them in jail. Some people see what he does, brings him back before the judge, and the judge says, you wicked person. You wicked person. How? How is it you could throw somebody in jail for such a small debt when, I've, when, I've, when I forgave you for so much? He was judged as wicked and cast into jail, right? Our love right now is very often like that man who threw the guy in jail for a little bit because he forgot the mountain of debt that he was forgiven. We start thinking we good because we do things. We start standing on our intellect. We start standing on our faith. We start looking at everybody like, yo, they ain't really real. I'm out here in the streets doing this, 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 and that. But stuff means nothing before God because we forgot the gospel, which is love in its purest form. You understand? Verse 3, this is that gospel part, the ammonia inhaling. He says to them, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. First of all, here's the remember. When we're talking about the church of Sardis, when we look back at Acts 19.10, we see where Paul had a powerful ministry in Ephesus. We know what gospel, uh, we, we know the gospel that Paul preaches, right? Paul preaches a gospel that says we are saved by grace. He tells that we, we he preaches good news. The word gospel means good news. It's good news because it's it lands on the bad news that all of us find ourselves in. That we are guilty between a, before a holy God of sin. And in our mind, we might be like, yeah, you know, I sin a little bit. But we have no understanding of how our sin, how grievous it is. Even the speck of it, right? Adam and Eve 
they disobeyed and they ate from a tree. They said out of their own mouths or whatever, the tree, the fruit looked juicy. It's looking kind of right. But the, 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 the disobedience broke the world. What we would call a small sin, it broke the world. So we don't even understand the idea of sin and the magnitude that it vibrates throughout the earth, right? And so God looks at it like, like whatever you think is the most heinous, worst sin, he looks at your little sin the same way, right? So that's bad news for us. That's bad news for us. Because even with your good intentions, you still will sin and you still will hurt people. And if you're married or you have kids, then you see your, your anger and different things come up out of you that I know you wish you wouldn't let out of you. And you're like, God, please forgive me. I just had to go repent to my son yesterday. I got mad at him and the way I fussed at him, I had to come back and go, forgive me. He said, it's all good. I said, no, it's not all good. I shouldn't have spoke to you like that. That was wrong. That's the hundredth time, thousandth time, millionth time I've had to do that. I need God's mercy and grace. So, so Paul preaches this gospel that says that, that we find ourselves in bad news, but the good news is that Jesus, if you will repent and follow him, his blood covers all your sin. He is in the business of reconciliation. He takes the enemies of God, like Paul was, like me and you were who are believers, and makes us children of God. That's the good news. That's the good news. Not that you got to act right and get it. We still going to mess up, but there's a process of sanctification that God gives us Holy Spirit and is constantly showing us our sin, not to just reprimand us and condemn us because the Bible in Romans 8 says there is no more condemnation. It says that we are not to return back to slavery trying to earn our position as a child of God. We simply believe. And repenting is a glorious gift. Not that, not that we are, we are so injured because, like, God, how could I be wrong? How do we claim to believe in depravity and then we're surprised when we're like, man, I can't, I am actually racist a bit. Or, or man, I can be hateful or I can be biased or whatever. We act like we're surprised. God's not surprised. He's not surprised. That's why he sent Jesus because there's no way for us to save ourselves, right? So that's what Paul is preaching. He's preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to our bad news. And he did this in, the, in, in Ephesus, right? And the word of the Lord spread throughout Asia, and it would have made its way to the church of Sardis. So when he's saying remember, he's saying remember then what you received and heard, the gospel that you preached, that was preached to you. And then he says, keep it and repent. Keep it and repent, right? He's saying posture yourself. Be zealous. He tells us in Revelation, if we keep reading down outside of 1 and 6, when he's talking to the church of Laodicea, he says, yo, y'all are pitiful, wretched, and blind, and you think that you are prosperous and you're good or whatever. They are deceived or whatever. They think they are doing the church thing really good, and they are completely deceived. And then he says, he says, I chastise those who I love. I chastise those who I love. He says, be zealous and repent. Problem is, we've got this posture where we become zealous to be right all the time. The church isn't called to be right all the time. The church is called to gather around the, the truth of the gospel and, and, and God and his mercy and celebrate and worship him in that. And then a part of our worship is that we actually repent. Because when we repent, we go on, God, let you be true and every man a liar. I don't know the answer. 
I treasure you because truth is not in me besides what you've afforded to me through your grace. On my best day, I'll destroy it. So he says, keep it, remember it, keep it, treasure it, and repent. Be zealous and posture yourself in repentance. And he says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. I want to read something to you as we kind of come to a close on this. This is 1 Thessalonians 5. And I preached this text a couple weeks ago. And I still chew on this text because I thought it was so gangster or whatever, right? But in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses, um, I'm reading verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read it straight to you. It, it speaks to this idea of coming like a thief, right? It starts off, it says this, it says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. So on, on, in Sardis, we see them being, um, we see them being confronted because they are not awake. And he's saying, yo, I'm going to come like a thief in the night and you're not going to know what hour I'm going to come against you because y'all sleep. Y'all out here playing church. You're out here playing alive, but you're dead. You 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 falling for everybody's sweet sentiments in your ear telling you, yo, you're alive, y'all doing your thing, but you've actually left me in the dust. There's a lot of churches in America like that right now, right? There's a lot of churches like that in America, right? I'll, listen, I'm not even going to say the veil is not like that, but I do not want to be like that. And, 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 and I'm preaching this word for me to stay poor and need Jesus and to treasure the gospel and for the members in our church to need it. And if you are not from our church, but you're tuning in today, so when you come back in your church that you stomp your feet and you worship and you grab onto Jesus and you encourage your pastor and your leaders and your, your, your community group teachers or whatever, that they would hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ because everything is gone. If you lose that, there's no church without that. It's just a empty shell. It's just a building, right? There's no power in it. So I'm preaching that to us, right? So, so he, so, so the church of Sardis, the, the warning is I'm going to come like a thief in the night. And right now, the way I'm weighing y'all, y'all ain't going to be ready. But on the flip side, 1 Thessalonians 5, I want you to hear what it sounds like when they are ready. So he says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. So he pretty much starts a conversation and he's like, yeah, you know, concerning the seasons and the times, you know what? I don't need to tell you about that. Y'all already on your game. That's what he's saying to him, right? In verse 2, he says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief in the night. For you all, you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Right? Let me stop right there. Verse 3, when he says there is peace and security, this is what is, this is what is alive about the Thessalonians. And this is what they are awake to. While the world is going, there is peace and there is security. So whether the world goes, there is peace and there's security or there's destruction and everything is on fire, no matter what's going on outside, 
inside as believers, they are postured with their eyes still on the gospel, the eternal promise. Jesus Christ is still their treasure. So he's saying, I don't even need to talk to you about this because y'all are actually awake. Everybody's like, there's peace and security. You have not fallen for a false peace and security and a false hope that the world is offering because even if everything works out, if you get the president you want, if you get the government you want, you get the legislation you want, you get the neighborhood the way you want it, if you get the wife or the husband you want, if you get everything restored around you on this earth, God is still coming back. Jesus is still coming back and he is going to come back as judge. And those who are his children are going to be lifted up and caught up with him and we are going to live with him eternally in a bliss that is the promise and that is what true justice will look like on this earth everything else is just you know hills and valleys moments and seasons you understand we are not to be deceived by the times and seasons this is the posturing I'm calling to you right now. This is what I'm preaching to you. Do not be deceived by the times and seasons and let go of the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the eternal promises. So whether it's celebration outside and you feel like you're getting left behind in it, or maybe everything is just looking like we headed towards civil war and you're worried about it. Don't be deceived out of your covenant and the love you have for Jesus Christ. Do not stop believing. Do not stop nourishing yourself with truth. Do not stop gathering and hold what remains. Do not be nonchalant about your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you haven't been calling them on the phone during this season, repent and start calling them on the phone, right? If you haven't been praying for your friends, family, leaders, pastors, elders, or whatever, for your city, for your community, start praying for them, right? Gather what remains, but do not be deceived by the times and seasons. Be aware. And awareness is holding true and believing what is true about the gospel and what is going on above all of the mess, right? says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. Everybody else going to be drunk off of, oh, we popping bottles, we getting money. Or, you know, doom and gloom. I don't even know if God is real anymore. I'm, everything's just falling to pieces. All of that's in the word. It's not a surprise. Don't be surprised. Don't, don't let God roll up on you like a thief. Keep me encouraged. Don't let him roll up on me. Let's gather what remains. Let's hold down a fort. And wait on our king together, right? It says, for those who sleep, I'm in verse 7 now. For those who sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. We're not destined for wrath. That's not, what the, that's not what's coming for us, right? But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or sleep or sleep, we might live with him. Verse 11, therefore, this is the gathering of what remains, what we're supposed to be doing. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The Thessalonians are on their job. By the grace of God, they are 
despite the times and the seasons, they are encouraging one another. They are building one another up just as they're doing. And this is what God is calling for the church of Sardis to remember. So he doesn't roll up on them like a thief in the night, right? So let me bring this on in or whatever. I'm going to bring this to a close soon. It says this right here. It says, verse 4 and 5, it says, Yet you, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soil, soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Listen, people, there's many of us and there's many people that have soiled themselves. In verse 4 and 5, this is God's mercy. He's pointing that out, not to condemn. He's giving them an honest temperature check at the moment, right? It says people, but he's saying, he says, there's some people. This is who, this, go gather what remains. There's some people who have not sold their garments, right? He said, he says, there's some who haven't sold. I got a brother, my homeboy, his name is Jafia Life. He raps, you know, spits that truth or whatever, but he has this song called Laundry. Where he says, Lord, I give you my laundry. The good news about if you've saw, if you're hearing this and you're like, I, I believe that I've been moving and grooving with no engine inside. I believe that I've been moving like I'm alive, but really I've been dead inside and I done left Jesus in the dust. If you believe, if you are hearing God is giving you power to repent of your sin and be truthful. And you're like, God, I think I've soiled myself. I think I have. I think I've got caught up in all of the noise outside. I think I let the times and seasons start smacking me back and forth. And, 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 and before I know it, I had left you in the dust. But like my man Jafia says in the song, he says, Yo, Lord, I give you my laundry. God actually does laundry. So if you sold yourself, he'll clean you up, right? He's in the business of taking our iniquities and wiping them off the board and leaving us clean. So when he, when he talks about those, they will have their name. Their name will never be blotted out of the book of life. They will be clothed with white garments. That, we, we, that, that they, he will confess our name before the Father and before the angels. When he's saying that, he's not saying, yo, I'm done with y'all and this is what I'm going to do for them. He's saying he's calling them to repent. Right? He's calling them to repent because as a father, he wants them in the fold. Right? That's why he says in verse 3, keep it and repent. He's putting something beautiful. And that's what I want you to hear today. God, I don't care what the times and the seasons are doing. And this is where this scripture hit me. It doesn't give us permission to fall back off of God like God is suspect. Because that's a, that's, a, that's a matter of belief in the heart, right? Right? It's like, like just because the world is on fire, which the word tells us that it's going to be on fire, right? It tells us that all of these systems are going to collapse and all these idols we trust in, they're all going to actually crumble. It tells us that. But if we let the times and seasons run our life, we're in bad shape. We're in bad shape. But he's telling us, I, I'm, I'm not going to fall back and be like, oh, I understand why you fell back. I'm going to judge you based off of it. Either you're one of mine or you're not. And if you're one of mine, then you'll hear my word when I say repent. 
right? That's what he does. We all slip and slide sometimes. And he comes and he grabs us by his mercy and grace. That's why the Bible says his mercy is renewed every single morning. Because his mercy is so deep, it is deeper than whatever sin you could build up yesterday. So there's a new tub of mercy waiting to bathe you and wash your clothes. And if you sold yourself yesterday morning, last night, whenever throughout your day, I don't care what you did, that mercy is waiting on you. That's the good news. But it poked me because it, it said, yo, don't posture yourself in confusion. Don't posture yourself in bewilderment. Hold to the gospel. Hold to the word. Re cherish this word. I don't care what's going on outside. You can be confused about what you see going on politically and what's going on in the church and everything else, but you cannot be confused about the gospel as a child of God because it's our life. It's what makes us alive, right? It's what makes us alive and the promise for us that whole, even when people are like, oh, you crazy, that doesn't make sense, I don't trust none of these churches, I don't trust Christians, Christians are full of whatever this and that, do you know Jesus though? Is Jesus a treasure to you, right? Because if he's a treasure to you, then this is for you. He will never blot your name out of the book of life. Your name will be screamed before the Father and before his angels and declare that you are a child of God and the inheritance is yours. The eternal inheritance is yours, right? You will be in garments that are completely pure, without blemish, because he wipes our sins away. 1 John 1, 5 says this. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Check this out. We have fellowship. Gather what remains. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, don't let them float away from you, church. Encourage them. Call them. Check on them. Speak the gospel to them. Right? It says we have fellowship when we walk in the truth. And it says with one another, and it says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It does our laundry. Verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We just, uh, we, we dead, fronting like we're alive. If we die to our pride and repent and confess our sins, then he makes us alive. He takes our soul garments and he cleans them. The blood of Jesus. It's in 1 John 1, 5 if you think I'm playing with it, right? So I encourage you to repent, right? So in verse 6 he says, "Who He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's how it ends or whatever, right? It ends like that. So when we, when we go back and we just relook at this text, what we see is a, a federal indictment coming down from the throne room of heaven against the church of Sardis saying, you are guilty. You have sold yourself. You are faking it out here. It's, it, Depart from me. I never knew you is what you should be hearing right now because you are out here doing all the works, but you have completely left Jesus in the dust. Your works are incomplete because they don't have a heart in them. The gospel of Christ compels us to work. It's a 
fruit of what we have in Jesus. If you leave Jesus behind and you go do the works, you just, you just walk it in place. So this indictment comes down, and they are guilty. And it should be a federal RICO case against the church of Sardis. But the merciful judge caused them to repentance, caused them to remember Jesus Christ. He says, I will clean you. So I'll leave you with that today. I pray that you are encouraged. I pray that you are convicted about your posture and that you are encouraged in God's grace and mercy and love to not condemn you. But he says that I chastise those I love because he cares for us. He cares for our church, for the Ville Church, who if you're not from here, he cares about your church. He cares for your neighbors, right? So I pray that you're encouraged by that. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and this is messing with your heart, and you got questions, message us on Facebook. Go in the comments, hit us up, leave your number. We'll make a phone call, however we need to do it. But if you are feeling challenged in your heart and you need to have the conversation, then we are here for that. We are, we, we are for that. We are, we are up for that. So make that happen, all right? I love you, church. I love you, everybody who joined us today. Um, Bill Church, like I said, look out. I got some good news coming soon about when we're going to be meeting again. Um, and so I'm super excited about it. I pray that God blesses your day. Um, love y'all. All right, peace.